You're listening to the Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, 15th of November, 2017. And you will have noticed, of course, as we've been talking about here in the last few weeks, the big, big question mark JFK dump question mark that did question mark take place last month um, with a couple of thousand documents uh, being released from the archives in one form or another. But you may not have noticed in the last few days, there was another dump, a big dump of 13,000 plus more documents. An interesting development as we go through this period, this six-month period uh, that uh, Trump has given the various agencies to redact and uh, finalize the redactions on these documents that they've been preparing to release for 25 years. Interesting. So sort, helping us uh, sort through this mess tonight is Chuck Ocelli of Ocelli.com. He's the host of The Ocelli Effect, uh, an interesting radio slash podcast. You can get it any which way, and we'll uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, Chuck Ocelli, you might remember from previous conversations here on the Corbett Report, namely Corbett Report Radio Number 17, In Search of Lee Harvey Oswald, and Corbett Report Radio Number 128, Still In Search of Oswald. <laughs> and so you get a tenor of the uh, previous conversations we've had. Uh, Chuck Ocelli, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate it, James. Thank you. And I'm uh, extremely grateful that uh, I'm able to speak with you about this subject because this has been an ongoing conversation between you and I for a couple of years. And I uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the work that you're doing and and your podcast slash radio show itself. Tell people a little bit about that and how they can tune in. Well, uh, Ocelli.com, of course, my name is spelled O-C-H-E-L-L-I, and uh, that's it. It's that simple. You can go there, and the podcast is available through there, as well as the live stream. Uh, it's also available on your general conventions via your Fondle Slab of Choice, uh, you know, and other applicable applications, uh, iTunes, etc. So generally, if you're able to search my name, you'll be able to find my work. Uh, so that's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get into the meat and potatoes then. Uh, as I say, just 13,000 new documents just dumped on us in the last few days. And of course, you've uh, gone through each and every single one of these word by word and know everything that's in them back to front. No, mm. of course not. In fact, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps that's part of the point of what's happening here. As you were pointing out on your uh, Chelly Effect the other night, um, you were talking about the idea that we get a couple of thousand documents where there's a thing or two here that the press will pick up on and make a headline out of. And, oh, look, oh, the documents are released. And then, oh, here's 13,000 more. And the 13,000 more don't get doesn't get any coverage whatsoever because, oh, there was already a dump, right? Well, this is old news. So an interesting effect here. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. Well, I, I find this very interesting because the documents started being released in July of this year. Uh, to my knowledge, and you were able to go to the National Archives website, which is interesting because that wasn't always the mechanism by which you pick these things up. You usually had to go in person or figure out a very complex way of requesting these documents via mail, and then you would have to pay for pages, etc. And it was a whole convoluted process. They've streamlined it, put it online. And uh, so there's the big plus, right, in the age of technology. But uh, <laughs> here we go. The 2,800 documents, right, that everybody was talking about, they sure did come out. Not a lot of uh, really brilliant gems in there. Some interesting dots are now connected. Uh, we have new cryptonyms that are available because of confirmations in the documents. Tell people what a cryptonym is for those who don't know. 
Well, a cryptonym is a, a code name that's assigned, especially when we're looking at CIA documents. Uh, there's generally a code name like, uh, let's see, let's let's give you the uh, the most obvious ones. Um, the CIA, right? They are generally uh, uh, thought of to have a particular cryptonym, and it's nothing like what you think it is. Uh, uh, like, say, AM, okay, here's an even better one. AM world or AM, you've heard these things discussed uh, through various conspiracy theories over the years, different operations that begin with AM for some odd reason. Generally, there's a, ge- a geographical location applied to it and some sort of asset applied to the cryptonym. And this is the code name by which it is mentioned in documentation with the CIA, whether it's a personnel file, uh, a report, a situation, it doesn't matter. Um, So a lot of individuals are now being identified most directly by the cryptonyms provided by the agency. That's very nice. Some of it goes all the way back to World War II. Interesting. Um, But, you know, eh, it's it's a bit of a mess. It's hard to really uh, uh, sort through all at once. And I like how you said, well, you've read all the 13,000, haven't you? No, nobody has. Uh, it's not possible to go through these things because remember, for your listeners, uh, if you've never delved into the documents, there is a transmission sheet which explains where the document came from, what the source of it is, uh, how it was released, etc. Most of these are from the Assassination Records Review Board, which was a government agency created in the 90s uh, after the outcry from the Oliver Stone film because of uh, long-held documents that would not be released until 2029. A lot of stuff was released in the 90s, but then this delayed release, which we were supposed to be given sort of the, uh, you know, the, the big reveal on this year, this was the thing that was speculated about. Now, what I found fascinating was, are we going to blame Trump for this? Are we going to credit Trump for this? Well, Let's be honest, the president who signed the law, because it was a law, the JFK Records Collection Act, into existence was George H.W. Bush. The president that enacted the actual agency, which was under the executive branch of the U.S. government, was Bill Clinton. So if you want to give presidents, you know, some credit, uh, you can start there, although I'm not fans of theirs either. Uh, One would say the only thing that President Trump could have done is hinder the process, which coincidentally he did. Uh, by allowing agencies to have their objections to things being, you know, held and and all of that, which you most aptly mentioned there, even though they had 25 years to prepare for these releases. Yeah, uh, but that extra six months is going to make the difference, right? Uh, of course. Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> well, I've gone over in, uh, I did an editorial a couple of weeks ago where I went through the five most amazing documents from the JFK files, where I picked out five that I thought were interesting. Um, but as I say, I think in that first 2000, or not even the first, as you point out, this has been going on since July. But in that 2,800 documents or whatever that was dumped uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, nothing spectacular, nothing that jumped out at me. But uh, you, I know you're connected into the JFK research community. A, who are you looking at for information about these dumps? And B, what, what have you seen so far? Well, what I've seen so far is uh, a lot of anecdotal information, which is being memorialized, you know, via memos. Um, Let's talk about what people have made a bit of hay out of, because this is the thing that somebody's going to say, oh, this guy didn't know that there was proof Hitler's alive. You know, this kind of contention, which I'm sure you're familiar with. But when one, one examines that document. 
uh, one needs to understand that this is a source giving a story, and then there is a photograph with it, which is not attributed to anyone in particular, except this particular, again, code name for a person who is a source. Now, if one peruses these documents over the years, we can find uh, Lee Harvey Oswald being present at orgies after his death, if you like, in FBI files, etc., via sources. You know, those sources and methods that they still need to protect more than half a century later under the guise of national security. Uh, yeah, I just said that. Um, yeah, you can find all sorts of anecdotal reports, sightings of Oswald, thousands of them all over the country after his death, before his death, sightings of him while he was in Russia, when he wasn't, you know, say, in New Orleans trying to buy trucks, uh, things like that. You know, this guy mastered being uh, in more than one place at more than one time. But the thing is, one has to put these things in the proper context. And you got to know the agency. You've got to know the filing system. You've got to know who the author is. You've got to know you know, who it is that they're transmitting this information to, because what is the point of creating a document unless it's intended for someone to read it? Especially if it's classified, one thinks must be sensitive information. Not always the case either. If you noticed uh, one of the other things that was made a great uh, bit of smoke about in the media was this uh, interview with the uh, former head of the CIA, right? And, uh, the questions are coming fast and furious about CIA involvements. Were you involved in assassinations, et cetera? And I am paraphrasing it. You can read the document, though. It's easy to find. Uh, and what they do to the uh, former head of the CIA is, uh, is begin to ask him a question about Lee Harvey Oswald being possibly a CIA end of document. Okay. Uh, people made a great deal of hay out of that. But the fact is that you're looking at the copy of a transcript from the Gerald R. Ford Library, which it says very clearly on the side, which means it's not the original transcript. It's badly photocopied. It's crooked. And there's also an interesting thing where the lawyers' names don't even line up properly on it. Something a little funny about these documents uh, uh, in some cases. And I'm not one of these people that immediately screams everything is fraudulent. I will tell you that they forget to eliminate certain things from the documents, even when they do mean to go on shredding campaigns. Um, prime example, there is something that I like to refer to as the CIA's assassination guide that literally says in it, don't commit things to paper. And meanwhile, I am reading from a guide on assassinations <laughs> written for the CIA that is committed to paper. Okay, so the people that tell me about the eloquence and brilliance of the agency yeah. <laughs> never memorializing anything, I need you to keep that in mind. And I've talked about that on the show many times, of course. Um, and you're aware of that, right, James? <laughs> yes, yes. But it is, I mean, it is good to point out that irony for people because it might go over your head at first. Yeah, they're putting it to paper, not to put things to paper. <laughs> right. And literally, this is a guide, by the way, James, just in, in brief, give me 60 seconds, maybe, uh, that tells you how to select a fall guy, that tells you the difference between a terrorist act and a normal assassin, how to, uh, uh, you know, create a diversion, uh, the different types of assassinations, the recommended weapons. I mean, point by point, a dummies guide, you know, those dummies this and that for dummies it's literally like the assassination guide for dummies and uh it, it's a cia it, it's in their archives 
<laughs> so, you know, and again, I love the irony of don't commit things to paper. I'm reading it. Okay. So we need to keep that in mind as we go forward. There's another document that's been uh, made a great deal of, you know, noise about out there in the, uh, oh, I don't know, the blender full of marbles that seems to be the news cycle anymore, in America anyway. Uh, hopefully, wherever you are, that doesn't prevail. I don't mean you, James, anybody watching this. Um, but the fact is that uh, th there was this other document where people are screaming, listen, we now have proof of a frontal shot in this document. Um, again, this is an asset giving an account stating that they heard that the Surgeon General believes this. Um, there's more than one Surgeon General. Do they mean the Surgeon General of the United States? Or could they possibly mean the Surgeon General of the Navy, who happened to be JFK's personal physician at the time? It doesn't specify. Okay? Um, and other assertions that are contained in that document are based on things that were heard by this asset and then reported to the Dallas CIA station. This is not proof of anything outside of an anecdote. And meanwhile, it's like, look, we have proof. Okay. I contrast that with the work of the late and very astute uh, uh, blood spatter expert and analyst, Sherry Feaster, who died just this past year, who uh, examining the medical evidence and examining all other uh, uh, things that she could lay her hands on uh, to forensically come up with an idea of what actually happened during the shooting event, using modern uh, techniques of uh, forensic science that were not even part of the program, you know, in the 60s, the 70s, 80s. Some things had not even become part of forensic science until 2003. She utilized modern techniques. And um, this isn't computer analysis. This is an expert, somebody who has testified in court several times, somebody who put this forth as a professional with her reputation behind it, stating that the headshot is apparently from the front. Never been covered, hardly ever in alternative media anywhere, not on the mainstream. But this is a forensic scientist who, in a particular field, states this. And I'm going to tell you right now that even despite the fact that she's dead, I know that there are people that are in that professional field who have examined her work. No one has dared challenge it. Okay. But there, no attention for that. This minor tidbit in the document is getting attention. Now, I don't want to dissuade people from looking. Because there may indeed be a great many gems in no, there. No, the the opposite, I think. We want to persuade people to look. Look for yourself. Look at the actual document. Because I saw all those headlines about that too. Oh, it's the one paragraph you need to read from the JFK documents. And oh, it's the second gunman and all this. No, go and read the document where you find out, oh, it's from this source, Potito, and whoever this is, and where it's coming from. Oh, it's some kind of asset reporting this secondhand, you know, from the Surgeon General, as you point out, which Surgeon General. There's nothing to go on here, but you wouldn't know that unless you really actually read the document. That's correct. You know, but that's the problem, you see. A lot of people, and, and this is not you, James, because you go out of your way not to do this. Uh, and, and, of course, I'm familiar with your work, but a lot of people wave a document, make an assertion, and assume that that's the end of it. They, they, they witness this and they say, this guy has a document. He's telling me this. That's the end of the story. And that is literally like the business model, it seems, of <laughs> the mainstream and alternative media anymore. That's why I, I, I can't even stand the use of the term when people are talking about me. Um, <laughs> sorry. 
But uh, I, I'm an independent thinker, and I do independent media for sure, and it's certainly not mainstream, but please don't call me alternative, because I'm watching the circus move to that part of town. Um, this, this undermines the legitimate work of people like John Newman, who is a military historian, who actually has shown people in a very succinct manner, in various public presentations, how to read these things, how to understand the lines of communication. I myself understood a great deal more through his presentations, and I had been staring at these things, I don't know, 10, 12 years before I ever even encountered his work. But see, that's my fault, because John Newman is also the guy who historians were claiming for a very long time was completely inaccurate about his thesis that JFK was going to withdraw from Vietnam. This is now, well, not necessarily the most challenged thing in mainstream or alternative circles any longer. And yes, indeed, he was one of those sources used for the Oliver Stone film, which, by the way, was the catalyst. Okay, not saying that Oliver Stone's film is perfect or factually accurate, but here's the thing it did do. It caused a groundswell of reaction in the American public that led to the Congress coming up with this law, the JFK Records Collection Act, which then led to, well, we've already told you that story, but the document dumps we're seeing today are well ahead of the schedule that we would have been confronted with, uh, regardless of their condition. And meanwhile, there's other complaints one could have. Um, the National Archives has not been entirely responsible with this process, but again, we also have the benefit of online access. So now, you, anybody watching this, anybody paying attention, if you search for it a bit, you can find all of the documentation that we have, you know, like I said, used to have to spend money to have printed out or to actually go to the archives to get, uh, so on and so forth, and see for yourself what is in the document. I, I advise everybody always, don't listen to the assertions of anybody giving you that commentary. You, you, you can be inspired to search for yourself. And, and I hope that what I'm doing today is, is one of those things that inspires people to go look at these things and objectively view what is being presented. Why do I say that? Well, just like when you did uh, a, a couple of podcasts called Patriot Mythology, which are some of my favorites of all time of yours, um, one of the features there was a discussion about this concept in well, alternative circles, the patriot movement, well, a few different areas of life, let's call it, uh, that uh, John F. Kennedy by executive order number 11110 was going to challenge the Federal Reserve. This is why he was killed. And you got to understand he was printing constitutionally backed money. And that silver certificate that he was printing, which was a U.S. note with a red stamp, this thing was the big threat and why he had to be eliminated problem. If you read the document cited, it doesn't work. Don't believe me. Don't even believe G. Edward Griffin, who agrees with me. <laughs> Don't believe James Corbett. Read the executive order, please. And read the executive order that it's actually augmenting, because that's actually what it does. And understand what's happening. Put it in the context of the time. Understand the Silver Purchase Act was being repealed. The uh, the Bretton Woods Agreement, which removed the U.S. from you know uh, precious metals altogether. That whole mechanism wasn't really completed until 1971. And the executive order even stood 
until the Reagan era, if I remember correctly, uh, although it had no teeth, it had nothing to do with anything, because silver was removed from the equation. And meanwhile, Kennedy took control of nothing. He turned over control to C. Douglas Dillon, who was his Treasury Secretary. A Dillon so, of Dillon Reed, that is, uh, you know, Wall Street firm. And if you go and read his 1963 economic report to Congress, it's all about we have to de- demonetize silver so that it can be more for industrial uses. He said exactly what he was going to do, and then he did it. And people still take it 180 degrees the wrong direction. And and even when you explain it, and to some people, I mean, you know, they, they say in the South of uh, America here, uh, they they say, uh, bless their heart, right? Uh, it usually means you're not doing the smartest thing here, but I know you mean well. Um, that is really how I feel about this when I hear this continuously, over and over represented. And uh, that that is also why I do a myth show, by the way where I try and present the opposition to many a popular myth. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I don't believe that uh, James Files is a valid candidate for the shooter. I don't see the evidence properly for George H.W. Bush being in Dealey Plaza. Um, You know what? If you want to hang it on Lyndon Baines Johnson, I don't see the mechanism for him to have been the mastermind um, involved. That's another issue. Criminal absolutely despicable human being. Sure. The murderer of John F. Kennedy got to show me the evidence. Okay. Uh, this is the problem. Uh, uh, also combating things that undermine the research community. Like I'm sorry to use a dirty word on your podcast, but Judith Barry Baker, uh, uh, undermining the research community in general with fanciful stories and conglomerations of really poorly sourced conspiracy theories all rolling into one. In fact, this week, James, culminating in, hey, I know this was Raphael Cruz with Lee Harvey Oswald, because I was there too. (laughs) I I, I have no words. I have no words. Well, okay, but this raises another important point of this, because here we are saying, look at the documents, get into it, you know, you can do this. But also, at the same time, people might have this sense, and this is the sense that I've had for a long time, I'm a well-meaning researcher who really, you know, wants to try to find out what's going on here. And I remember years and years ago in my podcast kind of wandering into this field, this this territory, and immediately not realizing I'm wandering into a landmine field. And, of course, stepping on all these landmines that are all over the place because there's now 50 years of people muddying the waters and well-meaning researchers getting things wrong and people going off half-cocked and all of this stuff that's thrown around at the walls, it makes it extremely intimidating for people who are just getting into this. I mean, this especially the JFK field has become such a cloistered community that really does viciously attack um, anyone and everyone, even the well-meaning people who kind of wander in, a, in the wrong direction or what they think is the wrong direction. And it makes it really intimidating for people who are getting into this. What, what do you have to say about that? Well, you know what? You have now struck upon the thing that I plan to address at the JFK Lancer Conference, <laughs> okay, which is that we need to entice, encourage, and in fact support the individuals that are looking to do the independent work that's really going to get us somewhere. Okay. Because fact is half a century plus, and we have not come any closer, by the way, spoiler alert for those of you in the nine 11 truth community, pay attention to the JFK research community because 
<laughs> we got lots of mistakes to show you. Um, thing is, the infighting is no good, but also it's no good to accept anything that is generally sort of, you know, in the right direction. Um, you have to actually come up with a way to make these things palatable and uh, understood. You know, reading documents, there, there's almost a, a, a mystical science to it. Okay, to be able to fully interpret every single thing you see in a document, um, as as much as I understand about this, again, guys like John Newman, guys like my co-host Carmine Savastano, guys like, uh, geez, Stu Wexler, Larry Hancock, uh, all these people, by the way, will be at the Lancer Conference. Not why I'm mentioning them, though. I'm telling you that these are the guys that understand the nuances of these things, understand how the entire... Uh, infrastructure that, that these documents flowed through was working at the time. And that context is extremely important. And we need to evaluate everything from its context to its content, okay, and be honest about it. I mean, I, I am not even possessed of the wherewithal to give you a viable scenario, objectively, of what exactly happened. I've only gotten as far as to tell you that there's a lot of things I know didn't happen. The Warren Commission story doesn't hold up to me. And it's because the evidence cannot be put together to create a viable case. It's that simple. Uh, but it does not mean in my mind that Lee Harvey Oswald is automatically innocent. He's an enigma in and of himself, as we pointed out on those shows earlier. And anybody will tell you that. It's a very confusing trail. I believe it's been done intentionally. And I believe some of the infighting, uh, even among researchers, has been stoked, created, and uh, and bolstered by people that want to make sure that exactly the attitude you just represented is the general public's attitude. And I've got to tell you that we need to break that mold of, you know what, it's very complicated. Here's what I vaguely think, because... You know, I got an idea from somewhere and that's it. I, I don't want to touch it anymore because that's where you go when you start to care about this, unless you're one of these people that wants to devote a lot of time, a lot of effort, and we need to change that. And in the age where we have access to so much technology that is in the hands of individuals like you, like me, and, you know, listen, I'm not a genius when it comes to this stuff. I kind of emulated people that were doing it very well and, and did it my own way. But I'm not the end of this. There are other ways we're going to be able to present this information, capsulize it, and create a new way of going forward. Yeah, a little bit of innovation is going to be required. And again, I don't even think I'm the guy who's going to be the innovator. But I would sure love to inspire it. And that's that's really what I'm looking to do and to point people that – Maybe you're a little scared of that alternative media because of the, uh, you know, the the non-mainstream media. They're a little scared of it because, gee, they they accept every ranting lunatic to come on and talk about things that we know are just not supportable by the evidence. We need to change that equation from both sides. And uh, again, that's why I do the myth series that I do. Uh, it's because it's necessary to clear away a lot of the brush that is laying on the floor of the forest. So we might get a chance to see the trees and the forest. Absolutely. Well said. And I uh, will put my own personal recommendation on that. I like the JFK myth series that you do because it does help people like myself who are 
getting into this and interested and well-meaning and want to do this, but it, there's so many things to confront as as we've been talking about. So that is part of your Ocelli Effect podcast that, again, is avail- available at Ocelli.com. But since you mention it, what is JFK Lancer? When and where is it being held and who will be there? Uh, well, there's over 30 speakers. Um, again, some of the people that I did mention, plus uh, assassination witness Mary Mormon, who took one of the most uh, iconic images in JFK images uh, altogether. <laughs> you cannot escape it. You may not know that she did it. But there was a Polaroid taken literally right after the headshot struck. And uh, that's hers. She took that with a Polaroid camera, and it is one of the most infamous and constantly used and never credited uh, images in the JFK assassination. She'll be there. I recently interviewed her on my show as well, but people will get to ask her questions and find out what her observations were standing nearly closer to uh, John F. Kennedy's headshot than almost anybody else. Um, Of course, she was right alongside of many other people of interest, but it, it, she's a rarity. She's going to be there. Like I said, John Newman is great. Uh, you have uh, individuals like Jefferson Morley will be there, uh, who's been suing the CIA forever, seems like, uh, trying to get information out of them. By the way, some Freedom of Information Act packages recently got delivered to some researchers. Shh, don't tell anybody. Uh, that has happened as well. <laughs> so uh, the documents are going to be a big focus, and it is from the 17th to the 19th of November of this month uh, in Dallas, Texas at the Adolphus Hotel. And uh, if you just basically enter JFK Lancer into a search engine, you'll find the 2017 uh, speakers list where you'll get one of those rare headshots. I had to create one for them because I'm not very uh, image oriented. Um, But uh, the thing is I created one for them and uh, you'll see a great many presenters on there. Stu Wexler, another great guy, uh, Gary Murr. Oh, and in fact, a a return person that we have not seen in the research community in a long time, which is uh, Gary Shaw. So you know what? It's it's the old guard, the new guard, some people that are going forward. Uh, Carmine will be there, Carmine Savastano, uh, you know, who authored a book actually trying to do a concise review of three assassinations in one volume. I thought he was crazy, but he did it um, because, you know, I've also studied those cases. Uh, it, it, it's, it's an interesting array of people and, uh, guaranteed it's, it's something that, uh, I think will be very valuable and I've never presented at a live conference in front of an audience. So that'll be a first for me as well. It will be interesting. And I know that, uh, the Corbett Report is strangely well represented in Texas specifically. So I'm hoping there will be a Corbett Report contingent there that'll be able to, uh, report on the proceedings as it were. Um, so please, uh, do check that out. Of course, the links to that will be in the show notes as well as everything else we've talked about today. Chuck Ocelli, anything else you'd like to say before we wrap things up here? Well, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and, uh, uh, to responsibly work on this stuff, it has it has more of a meaning than just a, a great murder mystery or, you know, a historical curiosity, an academic exercise, some people call it. The fact is that um, there are events like this which have shaped our history, shaped the trajectory of not only the American body politic, but truthfully, world history was changed. And, uh, you know, to me, the fact that the Vietnam War might have ended in 1965 had not somebody been publicly executed on November 22nd, 1963, is valuable enough for anyone and everyone to want 
to see the actual reality of who did it, why it was done, and who knows, maybe even bring a perpetrator to justice, even post-mortem, if we know how these things exactly work. And we're able to, in the public's mind, settle an issue like this. I, I think we can accomplish almost anything. Although, I will tell you this. Never look for the smoking gun to come from these documents. You're not going to find, we're the CIA, we did this. Tell you, tell you a good little joke I like about this, and then I'll shut up, I promise. You know, there was an, a president assassinated 100 years before Kennedy. His name was Lincoln. Okay, people tie them together because of the monetary thing. We're not going there. Let me tell you this, though. There are <laughs> documents in the National Archives that are classified. Related to, you know how they say, oh, gee, it was just John Wilkes Booth. Don't look anywhere else. Verifiable conspiracy. People were hung for it. But there are documents you're not allowed to have about the Abraham Lincoln assassination, folks. <laughs> are they protecting sources and methods? Oh, oh my. Yeah. Anyway. Well, we need a, we need an Abraham Lincoln Records Act, I guess. Um, Maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that that's certainly an interesting topic for perhaps a future conversation because there's a lot of stuff to mine from that that particular well. But we'll leave it there for today. Chuck Ocelli, Ocelli.com. Thank you very much for your time. The Federal Reserve the heart of the American banking system. For over 100 years, it has operated in the shadows, controlling America's money supply in total secrecy. So all that information is available uh, in our commercial paper. And program. who got the money? Hundreds and hundreds of banks, any bank or that has uh, access to the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve's discount. Can tell us who they are? No. Until now. 100 years ago, in 1913, the Fed was created. Fractional reserve banking. The legal authority to do it. Takeover of monetary policy. Are conducted by the Federal Reserve Banks. They are banks. There is no other agency of government which can overrule actions that we take. Century of Enslavement. The history of the Federal Reserve. Watch the documentary for free at corporatereport.com slash Federal Reserve and purchase a copy on DVD to help support The Corbett Report today.